The Dead Pair Podcast is brought to you by the Elite Experience Elite Shotguns and is fueled by Fioki. Oh! Welcome to the Dead Pair Podcast, coming in hot with everything you want to hear about sporting clays. Guy Fieri. How are you, gentlemen? Thanks for having me. Anthony Matarese Jr., how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. Welcome back, David Radulvin. That's a net positive. <laughs> Brad Kidd. Corey Cruz. Thank you for joining us this evening. Now I feel awkward. With your hosts, Jason Rambo. One more Red Bull for you. And Sean Alley. Woo, yeah! Christmas. Let's do it. Often imitated, but never duplicated. It's the Dead Pair Podcast. And now, it's showtime. Welcome back, Large and in Charge. Having a moment of deja vu. Having a moment of deja vu. Welcome back, David Rodolovich, for part two. Well, thank I'm, you, man. I like that guitar riff. I think that's what gets me. You think, is that ding, what it is? Ding, ding, ding. Or is it Sean's screaming, woo, yeah, woo! let's do it. You know the funny thing about that? You know at the beginning where I go, pull? Oh, yeah. We were shooting with somebody. I don't know what term it was. Might have been North Central or something like that. And this guy looked at me and he goes, every oh, yeah. time you call for a target, that's all I can hear is the intro of yours. <laughs> so, but no, it's, it's, uh, I love that stuff, man. That's, people come up to us and it's like, I recognize the voice. And yeah. it's like, wow, really? You yeah. know? But yeah. How many times have we got that, Sean? Oh, I can't even. I've lost count. Yeah. I've lost count. How many? Well, I bet you Haas would like to have a dollar for every time somebody says, are you larger in charge? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, man. So, David, we were in a pretty good spot in the last show talking about some interesting stuff, and I want to roll right into it. Yeah. Real quick, very special thank you to our sponsors, Elite Shotguns, Vioki USA, Bear Pelt, Atlas Traps, RE Ranger, Odo Pro Technologies, Rhino Chokes. The lovely Miss Don Grant, Vero Beach Clay Shooting, White Flyer, and Score Chaser. Um, gonna have some people coming back with us next year and some that won't, but that's okay. Uh, everything's a business decision. Um, still friends with everybody. Yep. And everything's gonna go smooth, it's gonna go good. David might even have a couple new people coming. Well, I'll never be back. Well, you gotta be invited back first, dude. <laughs> let's, I know. let's get that straight right now. <laughs> uh, he, he's got a key. Yeah. He's got a key. <clears throat> he's got now a key. I got a signature on the flag. Oh my gosh. That's you know what? When we auction this someday, everybody's gonna laugh the hardest at that signature. <laughs> so I was never here. <laughs> was never, yeah. But um, so we talked on the last episode, uh, kind of year in review, you know, analyzing your performance. Um some of the distractions and the problems and all that kind of stuff. And I hope that didn't end on a negative note. Um, I don't think so at all. No. no. But, uh, yeah, well, I mean, we talked about the negatives, right? Yeah. So, Sean, let's talk about the positives. Um, and I want to get into the whole plateau thing because that's a very big topic. But pick, give me two positives of your shooting for the year, your performance for the year. Um, no, wait a minute. Squatting with me is not one of them. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll move on to number two then. He hasn't, he hasn't told you, but he's he's been taking hours of video lessons with me every week to have to deal with that. <laughs> don't, don't Remember grant. how I said I feel like a therapist? Yeah. We're going to get into your therapist. Yeah. Okay, just hold on a minute. Don so. Grant's on the speed dial. Yeah, exactly. Trust me. <laughs> Can you please hypnotize me? <laughs> I have to go film with Jason. Can you please hypnotize me? No, um, I, I would say for me... <laughs> You can feel the love in the room. You can feel the love. Of course, this is how you know we're friends. Oh, uh, yeah. I would say for me, the positives were I was worried about switching guns early in the year mm-hmm. because most people know it takes you quite a while to get used to a new gun. And luckily, 
I didn't have a huge, huge change other than going from the high rib down to the mid rib. Which, oh, I didn't know that you changed from that. To that. Yeah. Oh. So the DT11 that I had was the ACS version. It had the really super high rib on it, the adjustable. Yeah. It had um, an extension ladder on top of the middle. <laughs> yeah. It looked like a fire truck on the top. Okay. And and then I went to the mid rib uh, from the Kohler Max Light Sporting. So I never had problems like with big, tall Shondells and stuff with that DT11. I could, felt like I just whip it up and just, yeah, general area, pull the trigger and it would break. Mm-hmm. So I had to relearn some of that. But then also the other thing that I fought was a lot of the low incoming targets. I'd have to float them a lot, you know, mm. with the DT11, where this one was like, no, I can be closer to the yeah. target and actually like real life. So that was a huge improvement for my shooting. And I think by doing that, it helped my scores a lot, just yeah. kind of evening things out from one extreme to the other. So that was a, that was a good, good. plus. Um, the other side of the coin was I actually did earlier in the year, put in some time, did a little practice because I had the new gun and I had to work through it. Yeah. And I had to get used to it. And going back to the basics, going back to the fundamentals, kind of helped me forget about like I'm shooting at a tournament I'm trying to do well and I'm trying to score well um and that really kind of put me in a better frame of mind when I went to a tournament I'm like okay so I've done this I've worked on this I feel confident with this presentation and I think that had a lot to do with how quickly I went back from you know I started the, the beginning of the year with zero punches in master class and I was in double A and I went right back to double class uh, awesome. ma- master class in August so within 8 months I punched up and here yeah. I am here I am again yeah so I think those were positive things, and in, but I'm just trying to now, – now I'm back on the master class bandwagon. I'm trying to find the positive things to try to push myself, and I know the amount of work that I have to do to even be anywhere near competitive, even at a local level with the great shooters that we have here in Ohio. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I it, it gave me something to work towards. It gave me something different to focus on. It wasn't the same old, same old routine. So I enjoyed the change. I enjoyed – relearning a new gun. And I think by doing that, it actually helped my shooting as I moved along. And, you know, I, I feel pretty good about 2023 overall here as of late. I've kind of, like, like I said, it almost feels like I've gotten a little stale or maybe I'm a little burnout or maybe it's been all of the traveling we've done recently. That's kind of affected me in that way. I'm not sure what the exact answer is. Well, I, I think a lot of that too is your, you know, your business life has been so busy yeah, it's, it's harder for you to travel when you're that busy. It, it so. is. It is. And it's hard to not worry about things when you're away. Sure. Because uh, this is like another baby for me, basically. But but overall, I mean, I, I felt pretty proud of what I accomplished this year. No no major things. I mean, I won some local tournaments and stuff in my class, whatever. And that was great. But overall, no no big major wins or anything like that. So that's the next thing I'm looking forward to. Cool. What about you, Dave? Take Give me, give me two positives for the year for you. I, I have one. Uh, and it's the it's in all encompassing for everything. I just wanted to by the end of the year be able to figure out a way to uh, in in long story short, I have gone twenty two and a half years of competing where no tournament that I ever actually no day that I ever shot a tournament in ever felt the same. I could never do the same thing and have the same result. The same input never equaled the same output. Um, And that was because of my, the way that my brain works and stuff like that, uh, ADHD and everything. And my goal was to find a way to be able to, if I wanted to, instead of being at the mercy of whether or not I could, if I wanted to, I could flip a switch, 
be hyper-focused, and be able to put up the best possible performance that I was capable of that day by doing the same thing so that every time that I went, I could perfect my process that I am inputting into this equation to allow me to consistently and continuously refine how well the product is at the end of the day. And I figured it out. I am more proud of that uh, than anything I've ever won. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. Jason, what about you? Um, I don't know. I, I would say performance-wise, um, pretty lackluster year for me. But if, if I could pick two positives, there were some shoots that, uh, you know, Chad talks about this. And I'd, I'd say this is probably along with the line of your performance at Nationals is I didn't score as well as I shot. Mm-hmm. And I and it took me this year to realize what he was talking about. There was there were shoots that I went to that I I shot really well and mm-hmm. I didn't my in my end game or the the number on the paper didn't show how well I shot. I just made a few mistakes along the way that cost me a score. And the same way with your performance at nationals. I mean, dude, I was seeing you take targets 10 to 15 yards quicker than anybody else. Yeah. You know, and I, and I had those days, I mean, not, not at your level. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but I had those days where I shot really, really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, like very difficult targets. I would run stations, but then I'd come to the trash can late at 15 yards, moving at three miles an hour and shot five feet in front of it. You know, I mean, I, I made those little mistakes that cost me. So if that's one and, don't think I'm trying to be cheesy. I'm not. I, I mean this sincerely, but I'd say the other positive is the friendships and the relationships, the new people that we have met this year. We've met so many nice people this year, and I feel like we were able to build those new relationships and, and new and exciting things for next year um, and meeting all the people that are that are audience of this show. I mean, it's been awesome this year. Uh, yeah. So for that, I take that as a positive. That's really cool. I mean, that's a big positive. Yeah. You know, I mean, Sean and I have met wonderful, wonderful people this year. And oh, absolutely. And it's that, it was just, it just, it, dude, it sounds silly. We've said it so many times on the show, but that's what pushes us every week to come in here. That's what pushes us every week to stay up late hours and preparing for a show or editing a show or trying to get content out. And and that's what it, that's our drive. Yeah. Has nothing to do with monetary, nothing. Well, yeah, because it, it can't. <laughs> right. I mean, if it does, then you're in it for the wrong reason. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. you're just not only are you in it for the wrong reason, but you're in the wrong sport. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's not. This isn't, it's this not isn't PGA. Yeah, no. Go, go with with some deeper pockets out there. Yeah. yeah. So um, let's talk about a plateau because, uh, again, any kind of big shoot, national, regional, or anything like that, I don't know what happened. I pull in the gate and it's, I forgot how to shoot. But it seems like, Anything local, any kind of small shoot, I'm always stuck in the 80s. Always. I mean, I'm just like at this plateau, shooting wonderful. I mean, running six, seven stations in a row, and then the wheels fall off, and mm-hmm. I end up in the 80s again. Um, you said there's so many shooters. You work with shooters every day closely, and there's so many people that struggle with this. So how do you recommend or how would you talk to our listeners and help them out to overcome that plateau? Yeah, 100% of people struggle with this. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're not going to mention any names, but you and I have talked about people at the top of the game that struggle with this. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, literally 100% myself, every person I've ever competed against, everybody has this problem and everybody has this problem at different levels. And it's basically, here are the plateaus, mid 60s, mid 70s, mid 80s, low 90s winning shoots. Those are the levels that you're going to get stuck at. And whether or not you get to the next one depends on your ability to do this thing. Yeah. And um, the uh, the problem is that I mean, do you do you do you want to ask me questions about it, or do you just want me to go on a on a monologue? On a tangent. Yeah. Well, let me interrupt real quick because I want to. I know that you started shooting at a very young age mm-hmm. compared to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, can you remember back as you were learning, you know, getting taught and everything else? When you hit a certain plateau, was it? And I, you were probably working with Wendell most of the time, right? Yeah, I started when I was uh, eight, and I started working with Wendell when I was ten. Okay, so I'm sure that there was probably moments where you felt like, okay, everything I'm doing, everything I think that's right, but I still can't get my my scores any higher. So what was it? Was it something that Wendell said, or Wendell taught you? Or was it some kind of self-realization that I need to do something different to get over this hump? Yeah, it's a good question. I already have a rebuttal for your answer, but go ahead. Oh, well, I don't think you do. <laughs> I know, I know I do. Um, so that's a really good question. But the only type of person that this issue does not apply to is a kid. Okay. Okay, okay never mind. You just took my answer. And my rebuttal. Okay, yeah. Fair enough. That's why I said I don't think so. Yeah. Um, and it has to do with the neuroplasticity of the way that the brain learns. Uh, and when you have child uh, neuroplasticity, um, I'm ADHDing on the actual name of it. Uh, you basically you can think of it like this: you learn passively through observation. You do a, a child once uh, before their brain chemistry has changed to where they have adult neuroplasticity. What happens is literally a kid does not need to actively intentionally pay attention to the one specific thing they are trying to learn in order to learn it you don't as a kid need to say oh i need to get better at the timing in my hands for my mount so therefore in my practice i need to specifically only pay attention to and feel the speed and control consciously the speed that my hands are moving in my mount um because if you just do, if you just shoot you'll get better um, and, and it's because of, and this is why kids can learn languages faster. They can pick up, you mean, literally you give a kid a soccer ball and two weeks later, they're going to be, they look like they've been doing it their whole life. You get a, an adult, a soccer ball, and they still will fall over if they try to kick it, <laughs> right. um, years later. And so the difference between, um, you know, the neuroplasticity of somebody under the age of around 25 versus afterwards completely changes this equation. And um, this is why. Um, you know, it's kind of unfair for coaches to take uh, credit for the, I'm, I mean, this is probably going to make some people mad, but it's kind of unfair for coaches to take credit for the, um, you know, the, the wins of their students that are young their because yeah. all they have to, all the kids have to do is go shoot and they'll get better. And you, the kids if, with volume alone, pretty much. Um, and dependent on how horrible their mechanics are, that will influence how much volume is required. But volume alone, a kid can get to the second highest plateau, to, so to speak, by just shooting. They'll well, figure it out on their own. Yeah. Now, see, 
all that mumbo jumbo aside, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> my point was about I need the to read kid. that Richard Feynman. I, I, I need to get on that Feynman. All right, uh, my point to that was is you know somebody had made the comment when Sean and I were at Nationals about the volume of shooting uh, that one of the junior shooters I'm not going to mention his name does every day, let alone every week. Yeah. Okay. But, but so real quick, are you going to be able to hang on to what you're about to say? Because I need to say something because I just realized what I said could sound really bad. You better go because I know how you are okay. with your train of thought. So I don't want people to interpret what I just said is that I'm not giving credit to Wendell for anything that he taught me uh, because that's not true. Um, especially what I said about a, a, a coach taking credit. Um, I, I don't mean it that way. What I mean is that it's impossible for me to answer the question that Sean gave me because I was a kid and I didn't have to specifically think about that. Well, yeah. And so, like I said, uh, all the Nero mumbo jumbo aside, what I meant by that is as a kid, you don't have to worry about a mortgage payment, a wife, a child, a business. Yeah. You know, you don't. Only thing you got to worry about focusing on is shooting. Shooting it makes it way, way, way oh, easier. Okay, now I don't want anybody to misinterpret what I said and back me up on this, David. I think it was 2017 or 2018. Bill McGuire won every regional and the national championship, and he did that in his mid 50s. Mm-hmm. I think that was right, right? 17 or 18, somewhere in there. I don't remember the year. I think it was a little, maybe like 15 or 16. I thought it was later than that. Maybe we'll look it up. But anyway, yeah. what I'm getting at is it can be done at an older age. Yeah. But you have to also understand that he was also financially well established. Okay, he didn't have his own business anymore. He was he he engulfed himself in this sport like so many do. But he didn't have as many outside distractions mm-hmm. as most. And I'm not saying that's why he won. I'm just saying it can be done at older. But it's easier for a child that doesn't have all the responsibilities and all the distractions and all the worries that come for guys like me and Sean and. I know you got to feed Bella, Um, (laughs) but, but no, and I don't mean any disrespect by that, David, but what I'm getting at is it's a little easier for people that don't have as many distractions to perform better. I think. Well, I can speak honestly on that because I've won a lot of stuff when I was a kid and not just won youth titles, but won us opens and regionals and stuff like that. And I can tell you, from having to compete in this game on both sides of that fence, you know, when you're a kid, this is not taking away anything from any one of the, of the younger kids who have won recently. But when you're a kid, you win by accident. And, and that's coming from an honest, introspective review of myself. So would you say that your first U.S. Open was... By accident? Oh, my God. Not just my first U.S. Open. Like, so many. When I say won by accident, what I mean is I don't know how to win. I did not know how to win when I won those. I won them by being mindless and just doing what I've done for years, which is just going to shoot. But then when you become an adult and you live in that world, then at that point you have to learn how to win. And learning how to win is is speaking towards what you were just bringing up, which is that you need to understand how to navigate your mind and your thoughts and your emotions and your schedule and your your responsibilities and your bills and your relationships and your everything. But when you don't have to think about anything other than shooting, then you don't you haven't you have an, an unbelievable amount of skill 
but you haven't yet learned to win. And the reason why it's important for me to say that, and I hope that if there is a kid that is listening to this and they hear that, they don't take that as an insult. Yeah, uh, no, I don't. But, yeah, yeah, but um, because the reason, uh, I hope they don't take it as an insult and they actually take that with um, uh, coming from somebody, understanding that's coming from somebody who's actually talking about themselves and uh, and understand that if you know that now, if you hear me saying that now and you believe it and you are a kid and you're winning these shoots, if you start to pay attention to what you're doing now, you'll have a 10-year jump on my career. Yeah. You know? Because well, I, mean, I didn't realize that that was the case for me until I started to question, why am I not winning anymore? Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, if you look at the the Connor Daniels, the Joe Fenizis, the Todd Hitches, and, you know, Griffin Howells, I mean, these kids are winning regionals. They're winning, well, Joe won a national championship, and they're they're winning world junior titles. They're close. They're knocking on the door by taking an actual world championship but they're at that age where you were when you won your u.s open and you know in your world titles and stuff and it was you know i see it a lot and it's so easy for us as adults to label it as well they don't have the responsibilities we do and it, that's true that's not the true 100 reason why there's a lot more to it mm. so all this being said i think we can agree it's it's no offense to anybody that's at that age by god run with it yeah. You know, if I could go back to that age, I would run with it. I'd do it. I'd claim all the titles and I possibly could. But what I'm getting at is I'm going to say is a fair assessment. Probably 80% of our audience is people like the three of us sitting here that have the responsibilities and they've mm. hit these plateaus. How do they overcome them? Yeah. That's what, okay. We're, we're trying to help people. We're 20 minutes into this program. Let's figure out how, how do we push people to get beyond these plateaus? What what do you teach your students to do to get past that? Now, obviously, they want them to call you for a lesson, but yeah. let's not take away <laughs> let's, let's not talk, take away your marketing here. Right. But let's generalize. Let's generalize, right? right? Yeah. Well, this is where in the last episode I kind of made a joke about it. I feel like uh, sometimes I feel a lot like a therapist um, because you have to take that type of approach to this. Um, and we have to understand that the first thing that we need to do, if you're in the state where you're like, man, I'm, you know, I made a lot of progress early on. And now, you know, for the first, for the last year, the two years, no matter how much work I put into my game, I don't get any better. No matter how many lessons I take with somebody who I know is a good coach, no matter how many times I go practice, I shoot five times a week, I shoot 100 to 250 targets every time I go out to shoot, and my scores are exactly the same. Why is that? Well, the first thing we have to understand is that that is a massive percentage of people that play this game. Yeah. And uh, the second thing we have to do is, is understand really what what is involved in the equation in not increasing your scores, but but what really is getting better in this game? Getting better in this game is not being better at shooting. It's being better at learning mm -hmm. and being better at changing physical movements that happen on autopilot when you're not thinking about it. If we understand that that actually is the thing that we have to focus on being better at, 
Now all of a sudden we're playing this game of trying to get better at shooting from a comp- in a diff- completely different, you know, field. And just by taking that approach and looking at this from that filter, then we understand there are a lot of different skill sets that become important to master in order to get better at this game. And if you find yourself thinking that, say you're somebody who's stuck in the high 70s to low 80s plateau uh, and you can't get any better, and the only thing that you think that is uh, that is important in getting better at shooting and, ch- and and breaking through that glass ceiling is going out and shooting more and working on the targets that you struggled with at the last tournament or working on your pre-shot routine or getting better at whatever it is. Um, you have to understand you're still looking at getting better through the through the lens of only shooting related things. When we get into how to actually break that through that ceiling, what ends up happening is you have to get better at things that are human, not shooting based. And that is things like the topic of mindfulness or self-awareness or and it breaks self-awareness down even more self-awareness of the way that your body physically feels self-awareness of your thoughts, self-awareness of your emotional state and how that's influencing those thoughts and the way your body feels, uh, self-awareness of your decisions and how they impact you. And um, then you take those skill sets of mindfulness and self-awareness and you say, okay, I need to go practice. And just going to shoot doesn't do anything because neurologically, as an adult with adult neuroplasticity, the only way that you override the autopilot movement that happens in your mechanical approach to the game um, is if you specifically and very deliberately focus on feeling that movement when you're practicing and having it be different than what normally happens. But if you go to shoot and practice and what you care about is breaking the target or what you care about is socializing with your friends during that practice round, your attention is not on changing that movement. And so no matter how many times you shoot and no matter how many millions of rounds you put through the barrel, you're literally not changing anything about the way that your movement happens when you're in the middle of a tournament. So the best way to be able to break that plateau is to, this sounds so dumb, but like the skill set involved in being able to sit in a room quietly and meditate and be able to like control your thoughts, be able to direct your attention to a specific part of your body, hold it for a long time, feel and control a change in that. That's what's required to get better at shooting at that level or when you're at that plateau, because you have to be able to go out and shoot and say, all right, my coach told me that the thing that's happening that's costing me all these targets when I'm shooting is that by the time that I finish a station, I'm four times more physically tense than the time than I was when I walked into this station. And that's causing me to have worse balance, locked up movement in my body. My hands are taking over and flicking the gun. And it's changing the way that I see the targets to be way more, way less detailed, way faster, 
uh, and and everything that is going on with my mechanics that's degrading from pair to pair to bear, if I if I go and try to focus on just fixing those things or doing them better, it's not changing anything. What I have to do is focus on feeling the level of physical tension increase, not allowing it to. Feeling the uh, knowing that, okay, balance is an issue for me because of that tension. Let me shoot a whole round where literally the only thing I care about is being able to feel the change of the distribution of my weight as I go from my whole point to my break point on every single target. And that in, when I say that's the only thing I'm paying attention to, I literally mean you're not paying attention to what your whole points are. You're not paying attention to if you hit the target or not. You don't care about anything but feeling the, the distribution of weight of your balance as you move it, so, it's it's really getting better and breaking that pla- through those plateaus is gaining skill sets that you use every day and all day in life and then and then understanding that getting better at a physical the physical skill of shooting is n- is the exact same as getting better at anything else that you do in your life but for some reason we all think shooting is this own is, is its own little world where the only thing we ever have to think about to get better at shooting is shooting. And, and I, and this is directly against being me being able to pay my bills. But if my, if my student, and I tell my students this all the time, if my students think that they can pay me my hourly rate for a lesson and I can give them everything I have in that time, and then they go home and every time they shoot and practice, they don't change the filter or the lens that they're looking at and experiencing and deliberately trying to practice and they just go shoot. Then the money that they're paying me is useless. I'll, so applying Feynman, it's controlling the amperage. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that may be too simplified. <laughs> but what it really, <laughs> it, it really is literally l- go to Google and type in, what is mindfulness? And that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can say one thing for me that I discovered this year. I did a much better job overall of analyzing my mistakes and correcting them. So if I missed like one of the first pairs or something like that, then I made a change that allowed me to break the next two pair Mm -hmm. or four pair or three pair or whatever. So that was a big step. And I can see like what you're saying, David, it's the little things that you need to work on. I mean, obviously that's a big thing for everybody is to be able to know, like, was I over it? Was I behind it? Was it in front of it? But was there more to it than that? Is it the way I moved? Was it my stance? Was it, you know, all that stuff. So there's so many moving parts to that. that So many. I get it. So I don't know. I might delete this part out of the podcast. um, Because I don't want this whatsoever to be about me. Um, Sean, you said something to me leaving nationals that nobody's ever said to me. Uh, you oh. gave me a hell of a compliment. I appreciate that. But tell David what you told me in the golf cart ride up to the pavilion. <laughs> well, and, and you want me to be that direct and blunt? Yeah, I mean, because okay. he, he, he paid me a hell of a compliment. This is kind of like, you know, say something nice before you destroy him. Yeah. Uh, but he, he paid me, and, and I've, nobody's ever said that to me. Nobody. And he, he, way he got my attention was he paid me this compliment and then he laid into me with like both barrels at the same time. So go ahead. It's just my way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good. No, I, I told Jason, I said, look, man, I said, I've watched you the last couple of years. I mean, you've got a whole practice course set up in your backyard. You'd have no excuse to not go out there and shoot. And you do. You've practiced on your form. You've worked on your technique. You've worked on your stance. You've worked on your mount. And when I watched Jason, 
he moves a lot like some of the big name pros. I mean, he does. He mm-hmm. if you watch him shoot, he when he's doing well, he shoots like a pro. But the thing holding him back is I think a lot of it goes to a number one, he puts so much on him to perform mm-hmm. when he goes to a tournament that I think he loses sight of why he's there. Yeah, you want to get a good score. Yeah, you want to win your class. Yeah, you want to do this, that, or the other, whatever. But I think if you can't distance yourself from that way of thinking and dumb it down to the point where you work on the things that you've been working on, you you break every target in your backyard, there's no reason to go to a tournament. And if the difficulty is the same, you should have the same results, right? I mean, sure, everybody's going to miss a target here or there. But I've seen Jason have some meltdowns. That are not good. It's and, called implosion. Yeah, and and it and it and it radiates from him, and it actually can get so bad that it affects other people. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's just carrying around this this negativity, and I and I don't know how else to to tell him that. It's like, look, you've got to let that go, because if you keep letting that affect you, you're never going to be a better shooter. Mm-hmm. And if I can just, and again, that was just being brutally honest between me and him. And again, we might edit this part out or whatever, but. I mean, again, I think that Jason's a great shooter. I think he can be a great shooter. But if you don't balance that out with the expectations that I'm going to do well or I'm going to put the pressure on myself to do well or I, I, I intend to win this event or I intend to win my class, that all goes out the window the first time you make a mistake and then you feel like the wheels are coming off and then it just it goes downhill from there. Yeah. So Well, that goes back but, to some of the compliments I've had this year. We shot with a father and son. Um, they were squatted with us for all of our main rotation at the Nationals, and they were complimenting me, and I'm looking at them like, are you nuts? I mean, these guys, like, outperform me 10 to 1, you know? And it was like the one guy that was shot so well, he was like, I wish I could shoot like you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Have you looked at my score sheet? It looks like somebody pulled it off a patterning board, <laughs> you know? And he said, he's like, if you can control yourself – Nobody will beat you. And I'm yeah. like, and then on the way up to the clubhouse, I'm like, did you hear what he said? And, he said, and John's like, let me tell you something. And then he laid this smackdown on me. And he actually did it a lot more. I give you credit for being podcast editable. But he uh, he he did it in a, in a much stronger manner. Yeah. And it made me wake up and go, I mean, I, I just sat there for a minute. And I didn't know what to say. And I looked at him and I said, why didn't you have this talk with me on Thursday before we started? Yeah. You know, but... <laughs> But um, it made me realize some things. Now, this is this goes back to where Chad called me rev limiter all the time because mm-hmm. that's just the way I am. I mean, I'm so intense about it. How did we get on all this? I don't know. But this is coming to the portion of the show. <laughs> Nobody beat me up in an email, okay? <laughs> Let me finish this first before you pass judgment. David, <laughs> I don't know if I can say this with a straight face. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I don't know what he's about to say. You're the biggest head case in sporting clays, period. Okay. <laughs> so I want you to tell Sean, because I haven't told him this, and I'll we'll edit the bad part of this. Sean Alley, <laughs> listen to what David the psychologist <laughs> told psychiatrist. Him, psychiatrist told him about himself. <laughs> word for word, explain the situation and exactly what he said. He so uh, one of the things I've been doing to figure out, you know, you asked me what the biggest, uh, you know, the good thing about the year was. And I just said what I said. A big part of that was me working with this really, really good psychiatrist. Um, 
and the reason why I have to go to a psychiatrist is because of my ADHD. And um, I don't like the way that ADHD medication influences shooting. So I don't take it when I'm shooting. And um, because it messes my eyes up. But I, I, I wanted to go to this guy because he understands so much of the neurology of how ADHD affects your brain and what happens. And because that's the way that I think and I and I filter everything through those types of analogies and understanding, being able to manipulate stuff like that. This guy's very helpful for me. So we all like really what I'm going to him with is one of the reasons why I keep so much insane data points of my shooting for my health and my sleep and my uh, heart rate and all this stuff. I mean, um, is so that I can go to him and talk to him about, you know, these were my thoughts this is how I was thinking. I was able to, to control my ability to focus and this, this, and this, and, and I can measure the, and see the correlation between my ability to be present and thoughtful in the moment, because look at how my uh, physiology was in those moments. Like my heart rate was up. My calories burned were high. It's because I'm in the moment instead of daydreaming about bullshit and not having any relevance in my thoughts or physiological response to the situation I'm in in the moment. And so I said, but sometimes, you know, I don't, I don't know why that this happens, but, you know, sometimes, uh, I, and I explained this like really complicated thing about how uh, it seems to be that in these long, long story short, that in certain moments that I would expect based off of all the data for everything to go one way, it seems to go another way. And I, so I said, I don't know if I'm just like, if there's something wrong with me or what, because I just empirically, the data would suggest, I not suggest, but almost demand that this would be the result, but it's not. And he goes, well, you are really fucked up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> bad when your psychologist touched <laughs> pretty blunt pretty yeah. blunt oh but that's one of the reasons why i like him because he's got a hilarious sense of humor you know but uh but. so <laughs> okay so you let me get to my challenge yeah there's so many people especially at the top of this game that want to dis- real quick does this move on from what we were talking about yes okay let me add one thing then yeah yeah absolutely okay so um Going into kind of getting a little bit better example of of how to exit that plateau. The biggest thing, basically, we talked about. I just talked about self awareness and mindfulness, and and kind of like being introspective and stuff. Uh, the skill set would be adding in a layer of interoceptive awareness in your practice, which means that when you're practicing, 99.99% of people, when they're practicing, all of their attention is on things outside of them. And it's on the target, the line, the background, the whole point, the focal point, the break point. And, and if you were to ask somebody, hey, what are you doing to break that bird? Their explanation is going to be purely 100% extraceptive, meaning that they're not going to explain to you anything about what they feel. Everything they're going to explain to you on how they're breaking that bird is what they see. And so the problem is that if that's the filter you use for shooting, this that exact reason in a nutshell is why you're plateauing. Because you're going out and you understand what you should see. Now, I'm not even talking about lead. I'm talking about the way the shot should develop. And you may know and understand all of those things. And that's what you're trying to practice. But you're not adding the other half of the equation to your practice, which is paying attention to what it feels like to make the movement that nets you 
what you're wanting to see. And so uh, an easy, easy way to be able to understand what I'm talking about, and it requires a little bit of a creative thought, is that if you're going to shoot and you're trying to practice, think about what you're doing and understand it in a way that would allow you to explain what you're doing to somebody that has been blind their whole life so that they could be able to do the same thing. Ooh. Wow. We just got we just got a whole new depth of this podcast. Yeah. Go ahead. Because if you if you have and and it's I specifically said blind their whole life because they have zero reference for anything yeah. you can see. For and vision or, or for sight or nothing. for this is doing yeah. That so, would be very difficult. Yes. And if you practice it, it's not. And I will say that um it is much harder to put that explanation into words because words need to be linear. And that requires a very long explanation to somebody who has never been able to see in their whole life. But it is very easy to put that explanation into a nonlinear thought process that you understand in your head. And because what it would, and if you want to know what I mean by that, close your eyes in the stand set up go through the process of your setup get to where you think your hope point is get calm use your ears call pull listen for the trap to go off and make the movement that you're trying to make with your eyes open but with your eyes closed have somebody film it and look at how similar it looks to what you're wanting to try to have happen you don't have to shoot well, i was gonna say for the love of god tell me you're doing this with an unloaded gun yeah, yeah, you don't shoot. <laughs> you know, you don't shoot. But but you'd want to see is my movement the same speed as the bird? Am yeah. I in the right posture? Is my you know like if you can do it and you'd be amazed actually how many times I do this in a lesson and how many times the best movement that my student has is the one with their eyes closed. Really? No, that's it's a hundred percent chance. That's the that opposite of what I thought you would say. Yeah, that's the complete opposite. Yeah, the best movement you'll have. So is, is that a, a is that a trust issue then, David? I mean, do you look at that as a trusting yourself type of issue, or is it, or is it the the extraneous input is causing the it's problem? That. Yeah, it's the it's the external visual stimuli that you get when you're shooting that makes you completely forget about what you're trying to do and you go into chase mode. And chase mode increases anxiety, and anxiety increases tension, and anxiety and tension increase adrenaline, which <coughs> decrease how good your eyes work, and then you lose the balance, and then you don't see it as good, and now you're paying attention to the talk. You know, like I could, I could have a five-hour-long explanation on why all that happens because of the literal, unarguable neurology and biology and brain chemistry and all these things. Uh, it's there's there's no person, there's no shooting coach that could argue me in saying that it is better to see the gun and the target than it is just to be looking and paying attention to the target. I can argue that with scientific fact and they can't. And um, the uh, and so the problem is that when we're shooting, we pay too much attention to things that disallow the stuff that allows the really good stuff in movement to happen and then what happens is we're practicing we just by accident end up practicing all the wrong things and that's why we plateau okay that is fascinating yeah so it's almost like you're disregarding 
you're, you're focusing so hard on what you're trying to do that you're disregarding the natural state. Well, of- to me, it's almost like you're trying to visualize the result more than what takes you to get to that result. Yeah. A, a great way to, to give somebody a, a opposite point of view of this, so they can understand it better is if I had a shot cam on my gun, which is by the way, is an awesome product. Yes. But if I have a shot cam on my gun and I were to, I mean, I know how every professional shooter shoots. So if you were to say, David, I want you to make the shot cam video look like the way it looks when you shoot a perfect shot. I say, okay. And then if you were to say, okay, I want you to do it the way when, uh, to mimic what it would look like if Anthony would shoot the shot. I'd say, okay. And you could look at both of those shot cam videos and they would look perfect for how each of whoever uh, you want me to mimic, I can make it look that way. But then let's say I'm, that you say, all right, I want 10 videos that look like this movement for this target. And, uh, but I want the shot cam videos to look identical, but I'm going to film your body moving on all 10 shots. And I want every one of your movements. I want it to look like you're shooting differently on every one of these shots. I can make my body move different all 10 times and make the shot cam video look identical. And so the problem happens when we, when the only thing that we care about is the way that everything looks like it comes together, and that's the only thing that we're paying attention to, and the way the brain works is it doesn't allow you to be interoceptive in that moment. It's the same reason why when you're working really hard and you're, you know, behind on a project and you get hyper-focused on something, you don't notice that you're hungry or you're sleepy or you're tired or whatever. You're, you're so extra-receptively focused that you've lost interoceptive awareness. Well, the same thing happens when we're shooting. We can get so focused and pay so much attention to what we see that we, we literally lose the ability to feel feel the way our body is moving, feel how calm or controlled we are. And so then what happens is that because we don't feel what's happening, we're not controlling what's happening. And then if you really get deep into the, you know, the brain chemistry and the neurology and the ophthalmology of all this, and you understand how all those things work, if you're not paying attention to how you feel, by the time you finish a station or a round, your physiological state has changed so much that it's changing the way that your eyes are providing data to your brain. And so if you're not controlling how you move and you're only controlling what you see, but what you see is changing because of the neurological and emotional and physiological state that you're in, well, you may think that you're doing the same thing every single time because you see it look the same way every single time, but it's not the same every time because you're not seeing it the same. And so... Um, this is, that's a, a, a fancy long winded explanation for why whenever we shoot a target on the first pair and we break it and we saw the lead, then we try to replicate it three more times. It doesn't work because you just change the, the way that your brain and eyes are communicating to each other by changing your focus. And now it doesn't work the same anymore. And what you see as identical as one minute pre- prior is not identical objectively. And so, um, you know, if if we're just focused on that over and over and over again, then we just, you know, the best way to do it is say like, hey, and this is also not me sitting here and saying, you can't know what the lead is and you can't pay attention to the gun. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that's 50% of the equation. 
The other 50% of the equation is that you need to be able to define what your body is doing so that way you can do that every single time exactly the same and see it the way that you want to see it and know that those two things are happening the same way every time. Okay. Let me throw this out there. We can cut this out. if this, I know this might be getting long. No, you're right. Green Station, Super Squad. You remember the last station, Station 10, had the platform and everything. Mm -hmm. The station before that, Station 9, had the big scissor lift behind the trees, had the Kordingberg coming out. So me and Jason shot that that morning, and I think we started on 8 just before that station. So I got Station 9, and when I got up there, I was the first shooter, and did my plan, whacked the first quartering bird, smoked the big tower bird. So I felt like my plan was right. So going into the next one, I'm like, okay, so I need to move here, pull the trigger, move here, pull the trigger. Is that the wrong way to think about that target? It's like, okay, I made my plan. I moved, broke the bird, moved, broke the bird. So now I'm going to try to repeat that again. But then I, I went ahead and I did. I broke the next pair and the next pair. And on the fourth and final pair, I broke the quartering bird. And for some reason, I don't know if it was just because I was so amped up or because I was trying to envision the same picture in my brain of where I needed to be to break that tower bird, I missed the tower bird. Mm. But he completely left out how he felt on that first pair. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I felt good. I mean, I felt confident no, no, that my no, no, plan no. was right. No, no. How you felt physically Body. making oh, those oh. movements. Yeah. And that might be something that I'm missing is, is being like you just said, picking up on how I felt when I was moving the gun. Mm -hmm. I apologize. I didn't mean to interrupt you, David, no, no. but was I right on that? Yeah, like, um, and I do this in my lessons. I'll challenge my students. I'll, I'll uh, when I'm trying to teach them this, I'll say, I want you, uh, give me your plan for this pair. And they'll tell me the plan. They'll say, okay, uh, well, my whole point, I want to break it right there. And there's, and I want to break it like on that leaf. And the, the line is, you know, like this. And then my whole point is going to be on that tree on, you know, they can get as detailed as they want. And then I'm going to put my eyes over here, like on this little empty space. And I'm going to pay attention to this part of the trap. And then when I call pull, I'm going to start my movement and I'm going to, you know, break the first word at the break point. And then I'm going to move my gun to this point point over here on this tree and then my but my eyes at the same time are going to go over to this other place and then blah 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 and I said okay that's great but you even picked a place to put your gun as a second hold point that's extra receptive you picked you picked you picked something out there that you have to mark that you're going to go to let me ask you if your anxiety level is high and increased and you're three pair in with a perfect score on a very hard station already at a national championship and you're at your last pair and you hit the first bird and you know you got one more bird to break and then you run out of it with an eight out of eight and are you going to be able to calmly search for that leaf on that tree to put your gun there and then get your eyes to pay attention to the second bird no no what's going to happen is that your eyes are going to because of that increased level of anxiety your eyes are going to be stuck in moving what's called psychotic uh, ocular movement so they're going to be jumpy and they're also because of that anxiety that's revolving around the placement of the shot your eyes are going to stay close to the gun because it'll be scary to move your eyes so far away from the gun that you don't see the gun anymore so what will happen in that last pair is that maybe on the first two or three pair, after you shot that first bird coming from the right, going up in the air, you, you maybe were able to just 
very easily move your eyes way to the left to pick up that bird off the tower. Mm -hmm. And you could see it coming off the tower. <clears throat> and because your eyes move that far over, they move so far left that your gun was outside of the radius of the center ocular part of your vision that you were very hyper consciously aware of. So your body proprioceptively moved the gun to a really nice spot meaning that you didn't have to physically consciously direct where your gun went. It just went to the right place that was on line of the second bird because your brain knew where the line was going for the second bird because it was already on the bird. Your eyes were already looking at the target. But now we increase that anxiety and the eyes don't want to leave where the gun is. And so what happens is that you shoot that first bird and get a little bit tighter. And so then the gun tries to move. You, you know that you're supposed to snap your eyes left and the gun's supposed to follow. But it doesn't happen that way. What will happen is the eyes and the gun move together. And then once the eyes see the gun where that needs to go and that anxiety is relieved, so to speak, then the eyes will look back to the target. But at this time, the target isn't where it was on all the three pairs because it took so much longer for you to get your eyes to look for the second bird because you had to go through the process of putting your gun in the right place. And whereas before, the second you shoot the first bird, your eyes are already watching that bird come off the trap. So now your eyes go back to find that second bird. It's not there anymore. And then that increases the anxiety. So then the eyes snap forward to try to find it. And then now all of a sudden, on the first three pair that you were able to shoot, and you had enough time to make a really not long, nice move on that second tower to feel the movement of that, to know that you were on the line and be and understand that it was a slow move. You don't see it until it's almost next to your gun. And then the hands take over because like, oh, God. And then you make a fast, quick move. Okay. And that's the kind of thing that happens. And that makes sense. I'm, I'm trying to replay it in my mind. It's been a while. But yeah, that yeah. something like that happened because I just, I knew when I pulled the trigger, I was going to miss that bird. Yeah. What you'd want to <clears> do <throat> is be able to say, okay, and this is where it comes into play. Whereas if you could do, every, or if you could do that movement with your eyes closed, if you, if you could, and it's not hard, you know, it's not hard to, to uh, you guys saw me shooting at nationals. How many pair on average per station did you see me rehearsing my movement on? Um, I mean, you were up there dialing it in before you got you yeah. know, pulled. I, pull. The reason why I walked instead of had a golf cart was because there were so many people on the course that I, want, I, I couldn't get around fast enough with a golf cart. So when I was done shooting on one station, whether I was – first up on that station and had my whole squad still left to shoot and had plenty of time to get to the next one or not, or if I was next up on the next station, I was gone. I would finish when I was done with that pair on that station, I would immediately get my stuff and walk to the next station. And the second I got to that station, I watched every single pair until I shot. And every single pair that I got to watch while I was shooting, I was rehearsing my movement. So that way it was so ingrained into me that if I did close my eyes, I knew the exact amount of space I had to move. I knew the postures that I wanted to start in and go to. I knew how fast I was moving. And now this is a hyper extreme example for somebody who's trying to win a national championship and has the skill level to be able to do that. Don't have to take it that seriously for everybody at every skill level, but right. you want to be able to define what you're doing, both in how you see it and in how you feel it. That's you, a good explanation. I mean, honestly, it is. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You were in such a hurry. You even put your gun in other people's guns. Oh, sleeves. my God. <laughs> that was the worst thing. Oh, Did you see worse. that? I didn't see it. I, he told me secondhand. Oh, my so. God. That was hilarious. Uh. So, um, all right. There, there, I got so many more questions I want to ask you, but we're, we're running out of time here. So, I'm going to move on to my challenge. Okay. 
if I give you this challenge, now understand you're getting called out here worldwide. Mm -hmm. Okay. Everybody's listening to this. At least I hope they are. If I give you this challenge, are you going to go through with it? Are you going to try it? It depends what it is. If you're going to ask me to like mow your yard every month, and, I'm not going to uh, do it. Well, and it's definitely not answer your phone because we know you can't <laughs> do that either. Um, so many people at the top of this game want to think that Don Grant stuff is voodoo or mm -hmm. whatever, and they don't understand what it is that her, is in her program. Mm -hmm. Don Grant is not going to sit there at night and tell you, oh, you're the greatest. You're going to break the target. That's not what this is. Okay. It's meditation. And if anything, it helps with your life. I mean, just listen to the episode we did with Chad Roberts. You know, it's completely changed his life for the better, you know. Um, but my challenge is for you to try her program. Would you be willing to try it? I would say that in order to do that, first, we would need to preface Dawn Grant with the shit show that she would have to put up with for... <laughs> Yeah, girl. it's a two-way street. Yeah, yeah. You, that's not something you just have to ask me, yeah. Jason. <laughs> so what you're saying is I give the girl enough grief as it is. <laughs> so, no, I don't mind doing that at all. Um, but no, I, I just think, I mean, you and I have so many private conversations that, that, that aren't on this podcast that I really, truly believe what's in a program could help somebody like you. Yeah. And, and that's why I started off with you're the biggest head case in sporting class. Yeah. You know, I was making a joke, but... Same time, kind of serious. Uh, <laughs> it just tells you that. Um, but no, I mean, if it's something you're willing to try, I think it would help you. And if you go to the top and this thing works great, you can send me Christmas cards forever. But uh, but um, I, I just, I, it's a challenge. I want to see if you're, you know, during your drive, I know you do a lot of driving and stuff. I mean, and you got a self-driving car, you could do a lesson. Uh, it's not just sit down in meditation. I mean, it's there's there's lessons involved, yeah. and it's it has nothing to. I mean, yes, it, she's based her program on shooting, but it's it's so much more than what people think it is, and it's so different than what people think it is. And I think the people at the top that want to give discredit, they don't know what's in her program, or so they wouldn't be talking like that if they knew. Well, so. listen, um, I am. All of the other guys at the top, I'm very used to being, you know, the the number one comment that I get when I'm talking, it's a joke. People say it jokingly, but they also mean it. Um, like all, all the other guys, I mean, they all make fun of me for how uniquely weird that I approach the game, you know way analytical i mean i'm sitting here you're asking me what's the best way to not plateau and i'm telling you to meditate and learn mindfulness <laughs> right and, you know and so i mean that's that's i was very happy to hear when you told me about what is included in don's program because well listen you know, i just scratched the top of the iceberg on that. i know yeah yeah there. but but you know um I recognize, I said this in a lesson like last week in Rochester, I recognize that I lose students because when I start to open my mouth, people think that, uh, that I'm, I've lost it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because of the things that I talk about and the holistic approach that I take towards shooting and the analytical approach that I take towards shooting or the fact that I'm bringing science into shooting and people think, it's not that complicated. You're just putting a gun in the air and you're shooting a thing flying through the air. It doesn't need to be that complicated. Look, it does. Because, uh, you know, take it from somebody who, uh, you know, 
I have to take it to that level because I don't have the time to practice and I have to beat people that shoot 40,000 rounds of practice in a month. And I'm able to do that because I don't make any mistakes. I don't make a mistake on a course and I am able to over and outthink the people that I have to beat that are good and as good as me because of their practice. And so imagine what would happen if you were able to do all of those things. And, yeah. you know, and I, and I'm probably going to get crap for saying this, but thank God that those, that everybody else kind of makes fun of me for bringing things up like this, because I wouldn't be able to win if they, if they thought I was serious, you know, the other guys I have to beat. And I, and because shooting is not as simple as just looking at a thing flying through the air. If you're trying to win a world championship, right. what, why would every other professional athlete in every other sport have to think of their profession in the way that I think about mine, but we don't have to do that in our game. Yeah, That's not true. And so to hear that Don Grant brings things into shooting that are about how to make your life better you know, how, how to be mindful of the way you feel, how to control your emotional state, how all these other things. And, you know, I, I would, I would gladly do that because I would, uh, even if it's things that I already know about, um, I, I would happily support somebody who understands that getting better at this game is more than just going to the club and buying targets to put on a card. Yeah. And just to let you know, you said that we would have to ask Don first. Yeah. I'm not saying I was talking about you behind your back, but I kind of was. Uh, I've already talked to her about this, and uh, she's on board. She's I, like, I would absolutely love to work with David. You listen, know? so listen. Th if this is all a ruse so that Joe Skull can understand <laughs> how my brain works to mess with me yeah, even more. No, no. Actually, Joe doesn't know about this. So. Okay. But if, he, if he's listening to this right now, he is grinning ear to ear. Let me oh, tell you. I'll never win another tournament. He says, he's going to know all my inner secrets. <laughs> 16 stations of big incoming crows. That's all it is. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh my god! No, but I, I just—it's it, so much more than shooting, and that's what you know. Chad and I have talked about it a bunch. Of course, he was on this program talking about it, and it's—it's the—the things that she teaches you. I mean, it's—you know—Chad's a different person since I can completing see that. that course. I can see that in his life, let alone his shooting. I mean, his wife was like at one point, she's like, "Who are you? You're yeah. not the guy. You know, you're not this bah blowing up because something spilled in the kitchen. You know, and." He's just a different person. Yeah. And it's it's actually, it was kind of fun to watch him go through that. It's like, wow, he is really, you know, but it, it's a permanent change. Yeah. And it's not that, listen, you know, so many people think it's make you, you know, she's going to dangle a pocket watch and make you cluck like a chicken. That's not it. <laughs> it's more meditation than it is hypnosis. That's so important. But, for, for, for all of life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. But, and then the cool thing, and Sean's, starting to dive back into the program now oh yeah sean you, you can back me up here on this i mean it's it's a lot of not only meditation but the lessons that you go through it actually makes you understand things about yourself that you didn't yeah and it and it helps and, and all what all this boils down to is when you're in the box is controlling everything from emotions to yeah. thought processes. That's exactly and, what I'm, yeah. You know, going back to your physical movements like you're talking about and being self-aware and all this other stuff. And me, I'm the biggest, 
Look, we sat in this room two, over two years ago. And remember what I said? I hate the saying, be where your feet are. Mm -hmm. And you were like, oh, my God, I love that saying. And, you know, being present and all that. I struggled with that. Yeah. I still somewhat do. It's like, well, I know where I'm at, you know, but no, you don't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because when I'm in the box, I there's times I get anxieties and yes. stuff about targets. And it's like, it's just a freaking target. Why am I getting all this anxiety? But it's. Everything that leads up to that. Yeah, your whole is, life. Right. And yeah. she helps you put things in perspective and just freaking breathe. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I need to get back on her course even harder than what I have been. I haven't been devoting as much time to it. And again, it's not an excuse. If you're serious about it, you're going to take it seriously. Being a month away from your family and flying all over this country, that I, I have flown more in the last six months than I have my entire life put together. I have traveled more miles. I'd hate to know how many miles I've got this year. I mean, I've been to Texas, New Jersey, Florida, Chicago. I mean, I've been all over the freaking map, California. I mean, and I that's not me. You know, yeah. I'm close to home. I'm a family man. I quit my job to be with my family and start this business, and I've traveled more than I ever have. Yeah. So it's been hard for me to follow the program. There's yes. my excuse. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, <laughs> and that's probably something that you found out about yourself is how you give yourself excuses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quit it. Yeah. You know? But no, um, if you're willing to try it, it's a challenge. I'm calling you out. Yeah. Uh, you know, and she's, she'd be willing to help you. Sure. So. Yeah. I mean, if you want a summary for it, think of it this way. Um, there are so many podcasts that you can listen to uh, outside of this game that have really successful people as guests. Yes. Um, and whether or not you agree with the people's opinions that are on these podcasts as guests does not matter because every person you can learn something from if they've accomplished a lot of things in their life and, or even if they haven't. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, there is one common denominator among every single one of these like industry leading or, or game changing world changing thought leaders in our, in our, on our planet right now mm -hmm. they who you would think like how do you have time to do anything in your life you know no. like all these things that you're doing and being in charge of and and whatever it is all that you would all think that about every single one of these people there's one thing that they all do they take time to sit in their own thoughts and pay attention to what is influencing the way that they feel and mm -hmm. think every single day yeah you have to do that if you don't do that trust me one, that's one of the biggest things that I've done this year is to just understand how my personality is to get massively caught up in the chaos. I thrive in chaos. The more chaos that that I am in, the better I'm going to do because it's actually stimulating to me. If I have a very easy day, it's boring. If I have a crazy schedule with an insane amount of work, then it's exciting to me and I can work outwork anybody in terms of like not paying attention to to i'm not sleeping or forgetting to eat and i'll just keep going because it's fun to me and it's engaging in my thoughts and uh but i can very easily do that and just you know ruin my ability to perform well on a course because i haven't paid attention for the past two months what i've been doing to my sleep to my health to my yeah all of that stuff and you get so caught up in things like that, that all of a sudden, when it's time to get there and actually perform, when, if, when that's the moment when everything kind of stops, then it all hits you. 
Yeah. You know, and that's one one of the biggest things I've done is is like, okay, if that's the propensity that I have every single day to do that, I need to not allow myself, at least when I don't need to, to do that. Yeah. You know? Well, Sean Allen, getting deep in here. Yeah, it's, it's getting deep, deep, and we could keep going, but we're we're well over an hour, so we're gonna run. The dead Sean, you know, before we wrap this up, uh, first of all, obviously, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, because, And I'm saying this because we're not going to have a show back out until, I think, Sean, I think it's Thursday, January the 4th. Yeah, that should be the first show back out for 2024. Yep, yep. And obviously, we have a lot of people we have to thank. First and foremost, I want to thank my beautiful wife, for tolerating the two of us numb nuts and making us sound good. Um, and then of yes, course, no doubt. <laughs> if it wasn't for her, Sean, we'd sound twice as dumb as we already are. Um, Absolutely. Of course, we have our sponsors, Elite Shotguns. Uh, man, what a fabulous year it's been with them, Sean. Absolutely. Then Fioki Ammunition. They helped us out big time down at Vero for the Dead Pair Blast. That was awesome. Everybody enjoyed the cocktail hour. Plus, I mean, Sean... Can you get any better than the little rhinos? Nah, dude, they're good. I, I am liking the white rhinos, though. So I am playing around with the ounce and an eighth a little bit. You are, too, I think. Oh, yeah. I have been. I've been experimenting. I, I love them. So, um, of course, Bear Pelt. Uh, thank you very much to Bear Pelt for being with us. I think they've been with us two and a half years now, Sean, and it's been been an awesome ride with them. Yep. Rhino Chokes. Uh, of course, we love us some rhino chokes and their barrel porting, their chokes. All the work that they've done for us has just been absolutely top-notch. Yeah, and a big thank you to Rhino for donating that complete package to our uh, Dead Pair Blast. That was awesome. Whoever uh, the winner was, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Full gun package, Rhino Chokes, Porting, uh, Custom Fit, all that stuff. That is going to be uh, Forcing Cones. That's right. Forcing Cones was included in that. That is that is an awesome prize package that they donated. Absolutely. Of course, RE Rangers. See it further. See it faster. See it clearer with RE Rangers. Sean, I'm hoping these new prescription reacts are out sometime around the first of the year. I know. I know you guys have been getting a lot of heat for that. Um, I know they're working very, very hard. I, I I will say this. I love my regular reacts. They work perfectly. I don't think there's a better lens out there. I mean, it's really, really amazing what you can pick up with those lenses. And of course, the girls at Odo Pro. Um, Sean, I was an idiot, as you know, and drove over one of my <laughs> one of my custom fit phantoms and the turnaround time was phenomenal. I mean, the girls knocked it out. I mean, we, I had it back in less than two weeks and up and running again. Uh, and, and I'm still, I'm telling you, I don't even want to take them out of my ears. Yeah, I don't know of anybody better. I mean, just, and I don't want to say better, but I'm just saying, I don't know anybody that's going to go further for you or do more for you. If you want to get a good set of ears, um, invest in Odo Pro. They will, the girls will take care of you. They know what they're doing. Dr. Grace is fantastic. Um, absolutely no regrets. I can promise that. And of course, you all know I'm biased with some Atlas traps, uh, being a dealer for them, but they really are, in my opinion, they're the best in the business. I mean, made right here in America. Uh, we did that awesome episode with Scott Manspeaker and he's been getting a lot of response out of that, Sean. I just talked to him the other day. He's had some phone calls from that people buying traps. No, that's awesome. And I learned a lot while I was down there. I mean, I really looked over everything with a fine tooth comb. They really, they really do a nice job. They've, they've definitely polished those machines and they got some great materials in them, great workmanship, as well as the engineering. I don't think anybody could go wrong. If you're looking to get some traps, I would definitely give Atlas a call. And then of course we have the lovely Miss Don Grant. Um, Sean, you're, uh, you're starting to devote a little bit more time to her program, right? 
Yep, been working on that. And you know what? It's good. I mean, it really is. My wife's actually noticed a little bit of a change in me, and she said it multiple times. Um, and it's, you know, I know a lot of people will scratch their head or call it voodoo or whatever, but it's not that. I mean, again, I think anybody out there, if you're just an average human being and sometimes you struggle with the stresses and trials and tribulations of life, I think Dawn can help you out, especially if those trials and tribulations come up while you're trying to shoot a tournament, then it's doubly effective. Uh, but I think she has a great program and I can't wait to get all the way through it. Absolutely. And of course, Vero Beach Clay Shooting, home of the Dead Pair Blast. Big, big things coming for 2024. Can't wait to sit down and talk with Brian about that. Um, and then Score Chaser. It's been an up and down year for them. They've had really, really highs, highs and really, really low lows, but they're still cranking along. They're doing a great job, and we love having them on board with us for sure. Yeah, I don't think there's a, anybody out there that does a better job than Casey and her crew. Um, Score Chaser is an awesome application. And I know it's only going to get better as time goes on. Yep. And one last shout out is to Toby Tom Play. Thank you to him and his lovely wife for making our intro and outro. Uh, Toby's working on a new one right now. I'm excited to hear that. Uh, can't wait to get it out to everyone. Um, we really appreciate him stepping up and helping us out. And, you know, the guy just loves the show, loves shooting, and he was willing to help us. And I think he's done a great job. Yeah. Big thanks to Toby. And and again, it's just really nice that he's also a shooter <laughs> because yeah. uh, it's nice to be able to talk back and forth and, and it's not just a one-sided relationship. Absolutely. The Dead Pair. Every week we tell everybody, and I called you out. Last episode, yep. Uh, called myself out. We're gonna challenge each other next year. We're gonna take at least one person, one new person a month shooting. Heck yeah! So again, we tell them every week: take somebody shooting, get a gun in their hand, have them break a clay target, show them how much fun this sport really is. Because by doing that, you're gonna get another person involved that hopefully will also at some point take another person shooting. Yep. Yep. And that's how we keep growing the sport. And take them to a tournament. If they are already a recreational shooter, show them how much fun it is to go out and compete with your buddies. Go go to a corporate event. Go to a charity event. I mean it doesn't have to be anything serious. And if you do decide to step into the realm of registered targets, hold on to your boot bootstraps and get in there and get after it. Yes, please don't email Sean and I. We're not uh, we're not financially responsible for your decisions. Uh, <laughs> but we do hope you enjoy this sport. Yeah, we've um, been yelled at enough. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, he epic failed this last time, so I'm going to try it one more time. I'm going to. I'm. Uh, I already know where you're going, and I'm. I'm telling pre warning you, I'm going to fail at this again. All right. So David's <laughs> fired. Sean, guys, we can't wait to see you all back here on the Dead Pair Podcast. We'll see you next time on the Dead Pair Podcast. The Dead Pair. The Dead Pair Podcast is brought to you by Elite Shotguns and Vero Beach Clay Shooting and is fueled by Fioki USA. The Dead Pair theme song was written, arranged, and produced by Toby Tomplay. Special thanks to the following sponsors. Bear Pelt, Rhino, Odo Pro, Dawn Grant, Atlas Trap Company, RE Ranger, and White Flyer Targets. <laughs> <laughs>